Well, praise God. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Thank you all for joining us today to another awesome study of our Word in the Bible. We just, uh, I'm so thankful that God is bringing us together, both people that are listening online and people that are listening in the church, and God is bringing people into the church and building the church one person by person by person. I'm just so thankful that the Lord is doing that. So if you guys want to join me in a word of prayer, we'll get right to it and get into the word and we'll grow in God's word. Just join me in a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for this day and thank you for bringing us here together, Lord. I pray that your Holy Spirit would touch our hearts and teach us as we listen here today, Lord God, to your word. I just pray, Lord, that you would help us to me to speak and the people to listen. And then all of us, Lord God, not just be hearers of the word, but we be doers of the word. And we take your warnings and we take your wisdom and we do the things that you told us to do and not do the things that you told us not to do. I praise you, God, and I thank you. I just lift up this time to you, Lord God, and I just pray that whoever will listen to this message, wherever they're at, I pray, God, that you would just move in their lives, God, in a mighty and awesome way and draw them to you as you draw me to you every day. And I praise you and I thank you, dear God, and I ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Anyway, if you want to open the word to Matthew chapter 6, we're going to be in verses 5 through 15. We've got some other scripture that we're going to be getting into, but for right now we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. Verses 5 through 15. And we're going to teach it today. We're going to read it and teach it. Our title of today's message is Religious Hypocrisy Part 2. As last week we had Part 1. Today we're going to have Part 2. If everybody's there, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. Let's read it all and then we'll talk about it. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, still on the mountain, he says, And when you pray... You shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetition as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore do not be like them, for your Father knows the things that you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So we're back at it. We hardly skipped a beat from last week's teaching. Jesus just keeps right on going on the same topic as last week. Religious hypocrisy. Hence, 
the part two. The Jews of his day had a real bad problem with their religious leaders acting with a holier-than-thou attitude. And this was such a problem that we're going to look at a chapter in Matthew chapter 23 that really paints a picture for us and what they looked like of their day. Because it is a problem. Religious hypocrisy is a, tr- is a terrible, terrible problem. I bet every one of us can think right now in our minds of someone that we might know right now or may know in the past that really acts with a I'm better than you, religious, holy type attitude. But they're really not that way. And again, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 23. And so if you want to be turning there, as we have we have about see five or six or seven or eight verses out of Matthew chapter 23 that we're going to go through, that we're going to talk about, that really paints a picture for us of what the religious leaders of Jesus' day were doing. So go with me to Matthew chapter 23. Before we dig into our scripture today, just hear me out. And I'm going to explain as we go. Matthew chapter 23, verse 1. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples. Which if you notice, when he says here, he's also in another big, huge teaching session here, just like he is in the mountain here. And he said in verse 2, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. So stop there for a moment. This is the picture of a religious hypocrisy. This is the picture of hypocrisy as I knew it best before I really learned that there were any more definitions. The picture of religious hypocrisy is, or any hypocrisy is, do as I say, not as I do. And they had this down to a science. The do as I do and not as I say. They sat in Moses' seat, which means they were like the pastor. They were, they were like priests. They were the teachers of the law. They taught you, and therefore you listened to what they said, and even Jesus said they were teaching right on. But he said, don't do as they do, only do as they say. As long as you just read God's word and do what God's word says, you'll always be okay. But it's when you read God's word or and you, if you hear the person that you're teaching that's really a corrupt person, as these people were very corrupt in Jesus' day, and we have many that way today, and if you listen to what they say, and it's right on, but then look at their lives you'll find that I need to do what they say because they are maybe teaching the word, but don't do as they do because they are corrupt just like these people in Jesus' day. Back to verse 3. For they bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. So they bind heavy burdens on people, but they aren't doing what they're telling you to do. They're doing just the opposite. Verse 5, But all their works they do to be seen by men. That was something that 
is a problem with the hypocrite of Jesus' day. They were doing all their works to be seen by men. That means they were only being holy. They were only being religious in order that people would see them and glorify them. Later in the verse, and we're not going to get to it, later in the chapter, excuse me, we're going to get to it. We won't get to it. But Jesus talks about they wanted the best seats in the synagogues. They wanted the best seats to wherever they were invited because they wanted to come in. Where's my seat? Where's my seat? That's my seat. I'm I'm the most important one here. And really that is not what Jesus said. Jesus again later on we're not going to read it, but he says he says to them, "But you don't be like that for you be humble in a sense. Don't be prideful like they were, like they are as he's saying right now. But they do all their works to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. So, in essence, I have an apology from last week. God touched my heart with it just a little bit ago, like as I was studying for this sermon over this week's time. I had said the phylacteries or the things that hung down from the people's heads to keep the law on their minds or to keep the you know the saying that, that sayings that God put on there. I had said it that it was hair. It's actually not hair. I looked it up. Phylacteries is really what they call them, and they're like almost like headbands that you would they would tie around their heads and then a, a piece of cloth would come down in front of their faces and then on that piece of cloth would be written God telling them talk about my laws often write them on the doorposts of your house so these people they were doing that which is what God told them to do but they were only doing it again go back like Jesus said in verse 5 but they do the works to be seen by men they make them broad they're making them big they were making their, their religiosity and what people saw of them huge and big so that they could be flamboyant and, and that people would go, oh, wow, man, he's really, he's really a religious guy. So the last instance we'll give you is in verse 23 of this picture that we're painting here. Jesus, just one of their warnings that he gave to them, verse 23 of this same chapter, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. So they were good at paying their tithes. They were good at giving things and, and giving of what they had because, of course, they were wealthy. They had it. People thought, well, I need to give, you know, to the to the church, you know, it's a holy thing to do. And, of course, they taught you to give, you know, again, as they gave. But they gave, but they didn't live a lifestyle that was like what they gave. They probably gave their 10% tithe, which is what tithe means, is 10%. But they did not, when it came to justice, there was no justice. Oh, whatever, doesn't matter, they brushed it off. When it came to mercy, they were not merciful. Which means they they were harsh on people. They they were probably uh, oh you did that sin type of people, but they were doing the same sin themselves. But they were coming down hard on others for doing that sin, as and they were doing themselves. The picture, another picture of hypocrisy. And Jesus says you should have done it all, paid your tithe and mint and cumin and all that you did, and then done all that that, but then kept mercy, <clears throat> kept justice. And had faith. See, so, anyway, this kind of spiritual life does not please God. 
As I said earlier, these guys had the do as I do and not as I say, and the appearance of spirituality and not really being that way down to a science. Last week I gave you the dictionary.com definition of hypocrite. Remember, one who has the appearance of being religious and spiritual, but is not really that way. So this week, I don't want to give you the dictionary.com word. I want to give you the Greek word, which is hypocritus or hypocrites. Exactly, I don't know how they say it, but that's my English uh, vernacular of it. And anyway, amazingly, a lot of times our words will have different definitions than the Greek definitions, and here's why. The Greek definition and the the Greek word and the English word that was then and that was now. See, the Greek language, this Koine Greek that this Bible is in, that our Bibles are in, is a dead language. And that's a good thing because the language doesn't change. The language of their time died. People stopped speaking it. So that means that the words and the definitions of those, the people who were speaking back then that wrote the Bible in, they haven't changed. So it's amazing to me when I look at a modern word, like dictionary.com for hypocrites, and it's the same exact definition, which means that that's awesome. That means both words and both languages are both the same definition. So look, let's look at the definition of hypocrites or hypocrites or however you want to say it. Two out of the three of the definitions of the Greek word of then describe the religious leaders of the day and exactly parallel the modern English hypocrite word that we looked at last week. So one of the definitions of hypocrites is an actor, a stage player, a disassembler, a pretender, a hypocrite. Isn't that awesome? Those are the exact words that we pretty much read, but in our new English word it gave it a little bit, you know, it was a little bit more drawn out. The Greek word was more very right straight to the point, but it's exactly the same almost definition to the to the point as ours that we read last week. So anyway, moving on. It's amazing. I just love it. Something we think about here as we go in depth in this teaching that Jesus has given is that Jesus would have never given this warning an example if he did not see it happening in his day. Because this whole beginning of this section of prayer that we're going to learn about is a bunch of warnings that Jesus gave. And Jesus is not a liar. He's not a fanciful storyteller. These people were really off the deep end. They, again, said one thing, did another, and the, and Jesus gives it to us right here in the beginning here, what they were doing. And it is, it is so sad. So, God does not waste his words. Amen? Amen. So right off the bat here, Jesus goes into some more re-education. But this time, it is in the category of the Christian principle of prayer. Look with me at the first half of verse 5 here. And when you pray. So, what is he saying to us? Christians are supposed to be people of prayer. I hope I don't need to tell anyone that, that calls himself a Christian. They should be praying. I would hope that this one should be a given. Prayer or also known as conversation with God, is a foundational principle that every Christian should make an addictive habit. That's right. After what Christ did for us, and does for me daily, he does for all Christians daily, he is definitely worth spending time with. Prayer is that avenue by which we do that. 
Prayer is so important. Conversation is so important that think of your relationships now that you have. How good would a relationship be with somebody that you have in your life right now that you never spoke with? Basically, the relationship would really fall apart. In order to have a relationship, you need it to have conversation. And hence, why it's so important for the child of God is because we need to be communing with our Lord and Savior. We need to be both hearing from Him and we need to be speaking to Him. It's, again, foundationally important. But another main reason why it's important, because without prayer, we are dead ducks, really, literally, speak, uh, spiritually speaking. You see, in real war, one of the things that an opposing people that you'll be fighting against, somebody that you'll be fighting against in a real war, U.S. versus Iraq, or, you know, versus World War One or World War Two, or, you know, just think of the wars that our country's been in the past. One of the main things that the opposing army will try to do to the battle, to the people that are on the field that are right there in the mix of things and they're fighting, right there, you know, maybe one line across another, is cut off their communication. Why is communication so important? Well, you have your base. You have your 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 post that has the base. And, and they've got the communication. They're, they're getting there strategically. They've seen things and they have you know, airplanes flying over and they see things that you can't see at ground level. So what they have to do is they get that all that intelligence and then what they do is they take their communication and they get it to the battlefield. They get it to the soldiers. That way the soldiers will know where to attack, how to attack, what angle to attack from. Without that communication, you, the people on the field, are sitting dead ducks. The, the enemy could be proposing a sneak attack around the side, and they may not see it and because their communication's cut off. They could literally, enemy could come in from the side or come in from the back or come in a way that they weren't prepared for or expecting and just destroy them all. Well, in like manner, Christians this day are in a spiritual battle. And the spiritual battle is with Satan. So we, as a Christian, as Christians, need to be communing with our command post, which is Jesus Christ. He's the one that gives us direction. Go here. Go there. Do this. Don't do that. Be careful here. Be careful that. So if we're not in conversation with our command post, which is Christ Jesus or God the Father, we are sitting ducks and we're just waiting to be stomped out by Satan. So Jesus said, half first half verse 5, and when you pray, God expects his children to be praying. If you're not praying, you're in spiritual danger. So that's your first key to, man, look up this, what I want to learn in this sermon. You need to be praying if you're a Christian. You need to be keeping in communion with God. Amen. All right, moving on. As we're going to look at second half of verse 5. Like our example that Jesus gave us in Matthew 23 about hypocrisy, we have another example right here in our text today of the actions of these fakes that God is telling us not to be like. Let's read the second half of verse 5. You shall not be like the hypocrites, 
For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. So look at what they were doing. Bad, bad stuff. Remember, Jesus only had to set people straight on prayer because prayer had been corrupted. And just like our alms given in a wrong way, praying in a wrong way will get you a title of hypocrite. Now imagine, go with me today, to let's think of somebody doing this kind of thing here. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. So, you know, walking into church maybe and, and seeing a guy standing there up in the front of the church, of course. Oh, Lord, look at how holy I am. Thank you, Lord, that I'm so holy. Oh, oh, praise you, God. And as he's praying, and of course being so loud that the whole church can hear, he's looking around. And, and as people are as people are gathering or intently watching him more and more and more, he's really lifting it up to God and really being dramatic about it. But again... It wouldn't be because he was holy, because just look at the end of verse 5. That they may be seen by men. It wouldn't be really, really an awesome prayer before God. It would really be so that, wow, look at me. Look at how holy, look at how godly I am. Oh, wow, oh, Lord. So could you imagine walking into a church or walking down the street for that instance and seeing some guy standing by a light post. Oh, Lord, thank you that I'm not like these sinners that are around me. And could you imagine seeing something like that? People walking along and going, man, wow, look at that guy. Wow, hey. He's really holy. And again, as more people gather, as people like to would love to see something like that, just like the rubberneckers on the road when there's an accident on the other side, people would start to gather and say, oh, wow. And as, of course, more people gathered, the more irate, the more excited this guy would get, the more, you know, this outlandish that he would get. How sad, how sad, 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 and a bad predicament that these people were in this day. And, and mind you, keep, Keep in mind, please, that Jesus is talking really mostly about the religious leaders. And, you know, as he's re-educating people how to pray. Because religious leaders were the holier-than-thou people. So, it wasn't a layman. It wasn't a, a person that had no stance in the church. This wasn't a, a congregant off to the side. This was most likely people that were religious. They were super spiritual. They were They looked that way anyway. And these people were showing the people how to do it in a wrong way. They were not doing it in a godly way. And the people, in turn, were learning how to be this fake spiritual person and how to do things, you know, just like the religious leaders would do. These were the people, like the pastor, that's supposed to be teaching the people, showing the people the correct path to be on. But they were not that way. They were teaching the people the wrong way to pray, hence why Jesus had to come in here and re-educate the people just like he's doing uh, right here. Let's look at verse um, 6. Saying all that about the bad, the next verse, verse 6, shows us yet again the love of Jesus being the loving God that he is because he gives us the correct direction on how, or you could say procedure, to pray. Verse 6, let's read it. But when, but you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Now, 
Again, like I said, this is the procedure on how to pray. Uh, notice this prayer at first. This is a prayer for an individual, not with others. Praying with others would not apply in this situation. Jesus is talking about you. You, main, you Christian, one of you, you main person, you. When you, not a whole bunch of people. Praying together, if you get together as a church and your whole church is praying and one person prays and another person prays, everybody's joining in prayer with them. This would not be, this. that would be called corporate prayer. This is individualistic prayer, one person's communion with God and with God alone, just one on one. So notice, look at that. So verse 6, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, notice how he talks about you as a person getting alone. Just you and God. Pray to your Father who is in the secret place. So we're praying to God who's in the secret place and then look what's going to happen if we do it correctly. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Amen. That Doing it wrong gets you the title of hypocrite. Doing it right gets you a deep, intimate relationship with God and He rewards you openly. Praise God. Let's do it the right way. So moving on from how slash procedure how to pray. Again, Jesus, the loving God that he is, gives us the correct way in which to pray in verse seven, in verses seven through thirteen. But before we look at those verses, God showed me something here, and it was an amazing thing. I have a key right here, and there's a door over there. God, Jesus, showed us love by not only giving us the key on how to pray, he gave us the door in which to go through. He showed, he showed us it's, it's this door right over here. Then in the how and the way in which to pray, God is a loving God as he is, said, here, take the key, this key I give you, put it in this door like this, Turn it to the right, turn the door handle to the left, open the door and walk out. He gave us exact directions on how to do what we're, we need to do in order to have a relationship with God. That is a loving God. An unloving person doesn't give directions. He just lets you go on and try to find your way. And if you find it, you find it. If you don't, you don't. God, Christ Jesus, God in the flesh, gave us the exact ways in which to do things so that we could be pleasing unto God. That is a loving God. Hence the Bible says, God is love. Before we get to 7 through 13 and the ways in which Jesus said to pray, he doesn't just start to tell us about the right ways to pray without warning us yet again about another evil practice that the people were caught up in. Verse 7, let's read it. And when you pray, do not use vain, repetition, uh, vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. That is the key. Vain repetition, praying, because you think your many words in your vain repetition in your prayer will get God to hear you somehow. That is not Biblical. Number one, they get the title of heathen. They think because of their many words, they will be heard. The Bible says in John 14, 6, I, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. 
He didn't say, not, oh, because if you pray with many words, God will hear you. No, he didn't say that. He said, because you come through me, God will hear you. I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by me. Not because of your many words, but by Christ Jesus. Now again, 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. Actually, we'll just do verse 14. He says, Now this is the confidence that we have in God. Or you could say Christ, either one. Or he is Christ, God is Christ, and Christ is God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So, there's your other key. Praying through Christ gets us heard by God. And, of course, praying according to God's will, he will hear us. Notice there was nothing in there about if you just pray so many words, if you just pray this prayer a million times, well, then God will hear you and finally answer your prayer. That is not what the Bible is saying to us here. The Bible is saying we go through Christ Jesus and we pray according to God's will. And if we do those things, God hears our prayers. And then at the second half of verse 15, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of. Again, going back to praying according to his will. So look at here. Prayer in any other way except through Christ and according to God's will earns us the title of heathen. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. And again, they were coming in the wrong way. They weren't coming through Christ or through Jesus. They were going through many words and hoping God would hear them. Sad, sad, sad. So Jesus' charge to people in verse 8, do not be like them. God wants us to pray in a certain way. Anything outside of that gets us a title of either heathen or hypocrite. He gives us all we need to know to do it, and there are no excuses. Look at there, verse 8. Do, therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. So God knows our hearts, and He knows even the things that we're going to pray about, even before we pray them, but then Christ still says, pray. Why? Relationship. And dedication. God wants that relationship and God wants your dedication. So now, <clears throat> verses 9 through 13, the correct way we should pray. These are called, uh, many, what well, you've heard them before, if you ever heard it, maybe not, I have. They're called the five or the six points of prayer. And we're going to go through them. We're going to read each one and we're going to discuss them. This is Jesus' prayer, but we're going to break it down, 9 through 13, we're going to break it down. And Jesus says, In this manner, therefore, pray. Again, in this way. Go to that door, put that key in this way, turn it this way, open it here, and boom. In this manner, therefore, pray. The loving God that gives us accurate directions on how to pray so that God would hear us and answer our prayers. That's what God's desire is. Jesus says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, number one thing we can look at here, Father is what Jesus said we should address God by in our prayer. Note here, huge note, amazing note, awesome that Christ showed us this. Father was never used of before by anyone to pray to God before ever. 
But Jesus is showing us here what kind of relationship God wants to have with us. Think of a father and son or father and daughter relationship. It's an intimate one. At any time before Christ came, and even including when Christ came, the Jews of the day thought using Father to address God was heresy. Many times they tried to stone Jesus for, again, calling himself the Son of God, which means God would be his Father if he was God's Son. So using the title of Father, talking about God in heaven, the Jews thought that was heresy. So Jesus, right off the bat, Throw something at them. Amazing. Pray to your Father in heaven. Our Father which art in heaven. Hallowed be your name or thy name as the King James would put it. So that is awesome. Praise God that that's the kind of relationship that he wants with every person alive. Now notice the beginning of our prayer. Look what Jesus did. He acknowledged the holiness of of God the Father because God is holy. Opening up your prayer, acknowledging and intimately thinking of God as your Father brings you close to God, thinking of a Father, a loving Father. And then opening up your prayer, praise be to your name, dear Jesus Christ. Praise be to your name, dear Heavenly Father, Abba Father, which is an intimate word that means Father. Opening up, the the Bible says in Psalms, David wrote, Enter his gates with thanksgivings and praise. That's how God wants you to approach him, as your, your loving father who is intimate with you, can be intimate with you, and acknowledging God's holiness. That's our main first prayer point. Your loving, intimate, heavenly father, and praising your holy, intimate, awesome father that's in heaven. So verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So number one thing I see, Jesus said, express our desire to have his kingdom come. No matter what, why? Because God is hopes that we have hopes that, or God hopes that we would be unsatisfied with this sin-filled world that we live in. In fact, you can't pray that Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, unless you are really unsatisfied with this sin-filled world that we are in, because it is sin-filled. Sin is everywhere. It's everywhere, everywhere you turn, there's sin. In Hebrews chapter 11, uh, while you're turning there, if you want to turn there, you don't have to. This is called, in the Bible, the chapter of faith. God is talking about some of the great people of faith in biblical history. Speaking of them, God says of their faith, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off were assured of them. Embrace them and confess that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out of, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. 
Notice what the people of faith were doing. They wanted God's kingdom, not the earthly stuff or the earthly kingdom that we have here right now. We should be praying for his perfect will to be done because it is not being accomplished right now on the earth as the devil has power and sway over the masses. We should cry to God for his perfect will because his will is perfect and not flawed like ours. That's your next main prayer point is cry for God's will, not mine, every day in and out of every whatever you do. God, let your will be done. Let your kingdom come, Lord, because I don't want this kingdom anymore. Verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. This is asking God in your prayer for provision, for life, etc. Uh, provision, strength to get up and go to work every day. Strength to get out there on those Dallas roads and struggle through all those mean and rude and, and you know disastrous people that drive that get into accidents. Strength to go put up with the people all day at work. Strength to be the best dad that you can be. Strength to be the best husband that you can be. God's saying here we can pray for, give us this day our daily bread. Food provisions. If we're struggling to make finances, whatever we're struggling with, whatever we've got to do, asking God to give us that strength to do that. One biblical name for God is Jehovah Jireh, and that literally means God our provider. And the other one that Jesus uses a lot in the New Testament, and it was used in the Old Testament when Moses saw God in a burning bush, was I am. And what is God saying to us when God says I am, and then when Jesus says I am? Number one, he's calling them two equal, and he's calling them two the same. But number two, I am means I am whatever you need. Whatever you may need, that is me. I am. Whatever you need. God says here, give us this day our daily bread. Whatever we need, God's saying, ask for that. Again, according to his will, but his will is that we be good dads. His will is that we be the best co-workers that we can be. His will is that we be we do our work as unto the Lord. So praying for strength to do those things, praying for strength to do ministry for God, would all fall under Give us this day our daily bread. So your next pray, your next main prayer point would be provision. Food, needs, strength, etc. Whatever you need, God is the great I am. Verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Number one, acknowledging that we are sinful and in need of of forgiveness because we are sinners and in desperate need of asking for forgiveness and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors or you could transpose the word trespasses debtors trespasses are all just it's all acknowledging that we're sinful and in need of forgiveness and Jesus is so big on this when he gives us an account a parable in Matthew 18, we're not going to go there, I'm just going to describe the story to you, where God says, he gives us this story about this evil servant. Anyway, this evil servant owed this great king, which in the story, which in the parable is God, uh, that he owed this great king 
an innumerable amount of money, money so much so that some scholars have said that the amount that Jesus told that he owed in the parable was more money that was in the entire world at the time when Jesus gave this parable. Okay, That's how much money this servant owed this king. Now, what happened? The king brought him before and said, throw him in the debtor's prison, basically, because they had debtor's prison back then. And then he would not get out till he paid the last penny, which, if you're in debtor's prison, you can't make any money, so basically you'd be there forever. It's a picture of hell. Okay? What happens is, the servant falls down, asks for forgiveness, please, king, I'll pay you back every penny, just give me a chance, please, 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 please. The king has mercy on him. He says, you know what? I forgive you your debts. Don't worry about it. Just keep on going on. Do your thing, and, and I forgive you of all of it. Now, what happened is, is the, king, the, the servant left the king, and as he was leaving, he sees one of his fellow servants that owed him, you know, something like a day's wage or five bucks or something so minuscule. It was just ridiculous. And that's what Jesus is, you know, showing us a, a, a picture, and that's a whole sermon in of itself there. But... He grabs his other servant and says, Pay me what you owe me right now. And the other servant falls down before him and he says, But, but, sir, but, but, my friend, I, I'll, I'll pay you all. Just, just give me more time. Please have mercy on me. And the guy says, No, no, no. Call the guards. Throw him into debtor's prison until he can pay me the last penny. And so what happened was, is the servants, other fellow servants of this guy's, go back to the king and they say, Hey, king. Remember you just forgave that guy all that debt that he owed you? Well, then he went out and actually had somebody put in prison because they owed him a day's wage or five bucks or something like that. The king called the wicked servant. He said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all your debt. And what did you do? You went out and you called to remembrance somebody else that owed you money and you had no mercy upon them. Then he said to the wicked servant, Take the other guy out, but put this guy in, and again, put him in so that he'll never basically get out. He owed that much money, and there's no way to pay once you're in debtor's prison. The main thrust and the focus behind the story, behind the parable that Jesus gave, is our sin cost Jesus Christ his life. And he did not sin. We deserve to die for that sin, but Christ died for us. Our sin made him die on the cross. That no money can be placed upon a human life. And what God's shown us is in comparison, when we sin against one another, it's like a day's wage or five bucks. It's not a big deal. Just say I'm sorry or forgive the other guy and move on. You didn't cost them their life. So God's showing us a picture of what it means to sin against God, which is in so much money that can't even be paid back, versus sinning against one another. And basically, the, the, as the picture goes, how can God forgive us the great debt which we cost Him when we can't forgive others five bucks or a day's wage? Okay, There's no excuses why we cannot forgive others of what they've done against us when we've been forgiven by the great King. Along with this, we have... First uh, John 1 9 if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of our unrighteousness so that's what God wants us to do in this next prayer point is confess our sins to God as we're turning away from them of course not confessing them and then living in them and forgiving others for anything they might have done to make us angry that's what God wants 
that is a main focus, and we'll see at the very end of the sermon too how important that is to God for us to do that. Move on to verse 13, which is the very last per point. It's the very last close. It actually has two main points. And it says, And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Here's what we see. God, please keep me away from sin, because God hates sin. If you are born again out there listening to this, and you have the Holy Spirit of God live within you, then if God lives in you, you cannot stay in any sin because God hates sin. He's not going to come and live inside you and then allow you to sin because that's not God is holy. Or God is holy. That's not God, for God is holy. He doesn't like sin. He hates sin, in fact. And sin, unfortunately, is all around us. As I said earlier, it's everywhere. Doing evil and being mean comes so easy. In fact, it comes so easy that God tells Cain in Genesis 4-7, If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. And we look again how easy sin is, right past that hall of faith in Hebrews 12-1. I'll just read it real quick. We read how easy it is to sin. The Bible says, Therefore we also... Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Look at how easy sin was. Even the writer of Hebrews said, and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Sin is so easy to fall into. It's ridiculous. So that's the main prayer point for that ending of your prayer help me to not sin today keep me from the evil that's in this world and he closes with for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever why does he do that because when we acknowledge that we acknowledge when we say those things we acknowledge that god is able to keep us from evil god is able to keep us from disaster praise god that he can the bible says Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So we can do all things, the Bible says, through Christ who strengthens us. And when we acknowledge for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, God, you can accomplish keeping me away from sin just like you can accomplish all the things that I just prayed for. That's why this a lot of people call this the sixth prayer point because you could just make a practically you could talk about this for 20 minutes how god is so powerful you could talk about it for hours in fact how god is so powerful so awesome that is the prayer of christ he closes with the prayer of admission that everything belongs to god while at the same time proclaiming his supremacy over all creation uh, because when we do this it helps us to remember that he is powerful enough to deliver us from anything we could face now very important point before we close. Is this the only way to pray? With these five prayer points, exact, do we have to pray? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name for thy kingdom come. Do we have to pray that prayer every single time we pray? And the answer is absolutely not. Important, keep this in mind. Jesus said, in this manner, verse 9, in this manner, therefore pray. Jesus is just saying, in this way, 
therefore you can pray. It's a great format that we can use in prayer. And you know what? It's a great format that I find myself using all the time in prayer. Opening up with praise and thanksgiving. There's nothing wrong with that. Praying for God's help as I'm struggling with certain situations. Whatever it is, God help me. That would be the provision of give us this day our daily bread and and keep us from evil in, in verse 13. God help me. I'm struggling with this sin. Please God help me. But your prayer does not have to be these exact words. You can make a religion out of just this one prayer. And, and in fact, in, in in many faiths, you have to pray this prayer before every service. And, and they make it a, a religious thing they have to do. And, and like that's what saves them. This prayer doesn't even save anybody. This is just a good format, Jesus tells us in verse 9. In this manner, therefore, pray. Now notice, Jesus can't end this re-education on prayer without giving us this one huge last warning in verses 14 and 15. Let's read them. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Unforgiveness is poison. Remember what we talked about earlier about the evil servant who would not forgive after he was forgiven such a great amount. If you have any for, if you have any unforgiveness against anyone, the only prayer Jesus says here basically that God wants is the prayer of God, I forgive this person or that person from my heart, Lord, I forgive them all that they've done to me or all that they've done against me. Jesus is very clear here when he says, if you don't forgive others, then don't even bother to start whatever prayer you want to pray because as David writes in Psalm 66, 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear my prayer. Or the Lord will not hear. Unforgiveness is inequity. It's sin. If we hold it against others, then God will not hear our prayers. And in essence, if God won't forgive us and he's not hearing our prayers because we won't forgive, we send ourselves to hell as well. Because we're not being forgiving toward others for their five dollars or their day's wage that they're owing us. Again, unforgiveness is poison. We must forgive others of their sin that they commit against us, which is hardly nothing. When Christ can forgive us of our great debt against Him, costing His Son the death on the cross. Wow! So we can't get caught in that trap, and Jesus gives us that last warning. So, in closing... Jesus gives us the do's and the don'ts of prayer, both in how and what to pray. Jesus told us what kind of prayer to stay away from and how not to pray. He told us what kind of prayer to pray and what God delights in hearing. God loves you. God loves mankind and desires us to come to him in a correct way so that he will hear us. Main focus again there. Forgiveness and having a relationship with God, coming in a correct way, not in a super religious look at me type of way. God, in a sense, a very small sense, well, in a big sense you could say, is being very similar, or is very similar to us, in that he has likes and loves and dislikes and hates. We are like him because we are made in his image. We, he is not flawed like us, but he is much similar in, uh, to us, in that we like and love things, we hate 
and dislike things. And God is the same way. We cannot come to God the way he the way we want to and expect him to listen to us. God is not like Burger King, folks. It is not whatever way we want it, and then we get to do whatever we want. God is not that way. So, how and where do we stand? Do you know what God loves and what God hates? Do you know the things that God wants to hear? And how God wants you to speak them to Him? Do you know what kind of thing, the kind of things God wants you to bring to Him as gifts and sacrifices? Do you know the way He wants you to bring them to Him? Why am I asking so many questions? Because I'm making you think. That's what I want to do. Here's why. We just read that God wants a certain kind of prayer. And he, and how he doesn't want prayer that is brought to him in a wrong way. God wants things done his way. He wants it done out of a pure heart. He wants it done and brought in a right way. And if you bring it in a wrong way, he rejects it. That means that God will reject what we bring to him if it's not brought to him the way he says to bring it to him. If you don't know how and what kind of prayer and gifts and sacrifices God wants, and you are just doing it your way, just like we looked at Jesus' teaching today against those people that were doing it the wrong way in his day, God is going to reject what you are bringing to him and in turn reject you. He's not doing this because he wants to. Because he sent Jesus to teach you what God wants and what God expects from you. So that you could do it right and please God. Because he wants to save you. If you don't know or you're not sure, it's your fault for not finding out what those things are that God wants. You reject him and in turn send yourself to hell. And what am I saying in another way? God, in a sense, in heaven, let's say God said that getting to heaven was like knowing a physics problem. And God put five physics books in every household and taught you how to do physics. And the books were right there. But you never bother opening them up. And the reason I use five is because the average poll is that every American household has at least five Bibles. I say that as a key. So then you get to heaven one day and you stand there and you're about to, gates are there and you look up and it says, tell us your physics problem and how to do it. So the angel comes to the gate and he says, okay, I'm going to let you in, but give me your physics problem first. And you look at him and you say, but I don't know. I don't know how to do it. And the angel says, but You've got all, you had the physics books. Why didn't you look in them and see how to do it? Well, I just didn't have time. When in essence I'm saying here is the Bible is that great physics book. From cover to cover, God tells mankind how to inherit eternal life. He tells us what to do. How to do it. He gives us accurate directions. He gives us correct ways to pray. He tells us about Jesus and how he died for us. And he tells us how to come through Jesus. Jesus says, all those that desire to follow me must deny themselves. Basically die to themselves. 
deny themselves, pick up their crosses and follow after me. Jesus tells us the way in order in that we would have eternal life with God. If you stand before God one day and you and you don't know now, that means you're not taking time to go through the great book, the great physics book, and learn how and what God wants. And that in turn is not God's fault. It would be your fault for not taking time out and going and listening and learning from the great teacher, as we learned however some time ago when I taught that sermon, the great teacher. And it would be your fault for not going to the great teacher, listening to him, and doing what he told you to do, and learning how God wants things. And if you can't, if this is you, and you can't answer these simple questions, then you can't possibly be offering the correct sacrifices to God. And I can tell you right now, you're heading for destruction. If you know it and don't do it, it's terrible. If you just don't know it, and you just aren't doing it because you just don't know it, because you can't, if you don't know how to drive a car, and you don't ever train, and you don't ever learn, but you get behind the wheel of a car, you're going to crash, folks. If you don't know what God wants, you can't be giving Him the right sacrifices because you don't know what He wants. Go and find out what God wants. Get in that Word. Get in the Bible if you care. And seek what God would have you to do. I tell you right now, and this is just a short synopsis of it, but I'm just going to lead you to go seek anymore because that's what God wants you to do to build a relationship with Him. First of all, God wants you to surrender your life to Christ. And give yourself to Him and seek Him in His Word every day. The rest will come as you learn how Christ, the great teacher, will teach you all the ways to live in order to please God. Desire Jesus in His salvation and seek His ways. And once you know them, then do them. But I can't and I won't tell you anymore right now because... You have to go to the Word. You have to go to the great physics book. And you have to learn what God wants. But I can tell you as a warning, just like Jesus warned people, if you do not know what God wants from you, you cannot be giving Him what He wants from you if you do not know. Warning. Please go to the book. Please seek God in His salvation. And He'll tell you all the rest as you seek Him. Now, exhortation to Christians. I exhort you, I implore you to walk faithfully and stay in communion with Christ throughout every one of your days. Remember, we are in a spiritual battle. We're in a spiritual war with Satan and the demons. Over not only one, our walks with God, but over number two, other people that we love and that we want them to come to know the love of Christ. We want it as a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual warfare. If you don't stay connected, Christian, Satan will cut off your communication and you will lose. You will lose your direction. You will lose. Because the enemy will cut that com communication off as you'll do it yourself. And before you know it, you'll be out in, way out in left field. And you'll not know where you are. So we have to stay in communication with God 
every day, off and on, all the time. Paul said, pray without ceasing. We need to stay in communication with our commander-in-chief so he can tell us what to do all the time. And not never ceasing if you can. Stay connected with your commander, with your command center, Jesus Christ. Praise God for his word today. If you will close with me in a word of prayer. Thank you, sweet Jesus, for bringing us all here today. Thank you for your warnings, but also, Lord, thank you for your correct way that you taught us to do things. Praise you, dear God, for you are so good and you are loving and you give us that correct direction on how to do things so that we can do things the way you want, so that we can be saved. Praise you, dear God, that you give us that awesome, awesome direction. And I just pray, Lord God, for the people that are listening. If they're not there and they're not giving you the correct things that you want, Lord, please convict them of their sin and get them on the right path because they're going in the wrong direction. Please get them into communication with you, dear Jesus, so that they can hear you clearly and know what things you accept and know what things you reject and do the things correctly as you want them done so that they may be saved from this evil and wicked generation that we live in. And Lord God, I pray for the Christians out there that are listening. And I just pray, Lord God, that you would get them on the right, just get them closer to you, draw them closer to you in prayer. Draw them closer to you in, in their communication with you so that they can that, so that we, Lord, could hear you clearly and do the things that you want us to do and we would hear your warnings to us. Don't go here. Go there. Say this to this person. Don't say that to that person. Lord, so that we can live life according to you, a holy and pleasing life unto you, dear Jesus. Help us all, dear God. Help us all to find that perfect path that you want for us, to go to your word and find that perfect path and to do it more, or to come to it and do it then. We love you. I love you, God. I praise you, and I thank you, Lord Jesus. And it's in your mighty and holy and precious and powerful name I pray. Amen.